Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. Now this is the commandment, the statues and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Here, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Two quick announcements before we dive into the, the scripture this morning. One is um, some of you who are on the prayer chain may uh, have gotten word. Um, Bev Scoggins, Bud, has been our longest. Our, he's not currently on the session, but he's been one of our original elders. Bev, his wife, fell yesterday uh, and cracked four ribs, a lot of facial lacerations in the hospital last night. They asked for your prayers. They're doing fine, except. She has four broken ribs and facial lacerations, and it's it's um, you know it's challenging. So um, we they they are just ask for your prayers. Um, secondly, I want to bring you up to date on our land because it's sort of been you haven't heard anything, and there's a reason for that. Um, we have six and a quarter acres of land that we put a contract on about a mile, well two miles down the road that way, and uh, in the process we the when we Went to closing. We we asked them to make sure the title was clear, and uh, it turns out that title's not completely clear. That there is a uh, sister from 1974 who was um, named in the will, but has not really been seen or heard from she, uh, from the family for you know, decades. So that creates a little bit of a legal issue. So uh, we're at peace. Uh, we're continuing to move through, but it's just delayed. They have to make sure. They go through the proper legal channels so that they can sell the land unencumbered. So if you just pray that God's will be done in that, we are moving forward with teams of people looking at the kind of facility we would want. In your uh, Friday email that uh, hopefully everyone got, the names of those who are serving in various capacities, but we're moving forward, believing God's going to do this, but we're, we'll let you know as soon as the deal is closed. On our end, everything is ready to go. The check's ready to give them. We're just waiting for them to give us the all-clear sign. So just wanted to let you know that. Uh, I will be beginning to go through the book of Second Corinthians in a couple of weeks. Uh, that'll be our next book as we continue to just move through books of Scripture. So if you want to get a head start and begin to read through that, uh, feel free to. But um, that 
I usually don't do standalone sermons. Just the, the, right now, I just this week just happens to be one of those weeks when it just didn't make sense to start Second Corinthians this week. I don't because I think that uh, our philosophy is that the value of Scripture is seeing it in context. So we just move. From one book of the Bible, choose a book and move our way through it. We just finished Job and, you know, it just, that, that's the way we see it working. But occasionally you run into a time like this and I actually, it's tough for me to come up with like, okay, Lord, what do you, I'm glad I don't have to do this every week. What do you say? Um, Deuteronomy 6, um, I've been steeped in the scripture for four months. Um, back, Nancy and I went away in October. And over that time, I wrote seven songs that together are all of Deuteronomy 6. It's just the way I, I can't memorize scripture very well by just rote memory. It's too hard. But you can memorize so much with songs. And so, anyway, if anyone's interested, I, I'll post my little songs. My, 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 my wife and son know Deuteronomy 6 too just by sheer repetition of songs in the house. Um, so if you're interested, I'll post a link. Uh, we have a blog on the website, and I'll post a link there. I'll try to get it up this week, where if you want to learn Deuteronomy 6 with my little songs, I think you can learn them. But it's a pretty painless way to learn. But what happens is when you steep yourself in a scripture week after week, month after month, God can begin to do something illuminating in you. When the words, you're not worried about the individual words because they're within you. And so... I did Deuteronomy 6. I chose that chapter to try to write a song to because it's one of the pivotal chapters in all of Scripture. Here we are, Moses at the brink of the promised land about to lead now this growing group of of Israelites into this promised land, except Moses can't go with them, can he? The Lord has said, Moses, you'll stay here. You won't be able to lead. Joshua will lead them into the promised land. But you can give them your parting sermon. And so basically his parting words are the book of Deuteronomy. When he tells these people with whom he's led them out of Egypt, he has been with them, leading them in the wilderness, shaping a national identity of the people. And now he's saying goodbye. So what you're reading when you read the book of Deuteronomy is, this is what I want you to know as you go into the promised land. This is what's important. This is what you must remember. And so it's in that context that Deuteronomy chapter 6 tells us four things. First thing is it tells us the identity. Second thing is it tells us about community. The third thing it tells us is about prosperity. And yes, the last one will be a T word. It tells us about continuity. So I want to go back and I want to just want to talk to you because I feel like in our culture, in where we are, these issues are still very much at play. If you have your Bibles, if you open to Deuteronomy chapter 6, saying, now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you're going over to possess it. Why? That you may fear the Lord your God. 
you and your son and your son's son by doing all these statutes and commandments. All the days of your life that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. What sort of people is Israel going to be as it goes into this land? Now remember, this land isn't empty. It's full of groups that practice all kinds of different religions that are doing things that in most cases were uh, offensive to God, had practices that were something that these people coming over needed to not participate in. And so he says, look, the challenge for you is who are you going to be the second you step through the Jordan and end up on, in that land? Who are you? What is going to define you? A question for us this morning is that, you know, we live in a land not unlike what Israel was passing into. People that practice a lot of different things and believe a lot of different things are true and right. And as Christians, the question for us is what, what is, a, what is your identity? What is our identity? And I think this question is the key question for so much. If I asked you, who are you? What, what is your identity? Now, there's, typically there's many roles we have. Our, our family roles, we've got work roles, we've got things from your background and your past. Some people define their identity through their ethnicity, through their race. Now we define it through uh, sexual things. We, we have a culture that defines identity in many, many ways. And as Christians, Moses is saying the temptation for us is going to be to have the culture around us, the culture around them, define their identity. Later on in this chapter, he's going to say to them, it's going to be so tempting for you to become like the people around you. And so my question is, what's the identity that he, that Moses presents to them? And here are the, the words that I would use for the identity. And the key verse, what's called the Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4, the Hebrew word for to hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. His word for them is your identity has to begin with your relationship with God and who He is. That there's one God, the exclusivity of this, and as Christians, one of the things that constantly becomes a challenge to us is, is Jesus Christ the unique Son of God? Or is He just one among many gods? Is He just just somebody that we choose, but all roads lead to heaven. This is the Shema. This is what he says. Hear, O Israel. Hear, people of God. Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. 
Remember, it's only been just a few decades since the name of God, what we say Yahweh, that tetragrammaton, four letters that God reveals his name, is revealed to Moses to say, I am not like other gods. There is no other God before me. Your identity has to be rooted in the one true God. Here are the words that he uses. He says, you must think of these things in in relationship to God. Verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your God. Talk about fear in just a minute. He talks about God fearing, God obeying, that you may keep all his statutes and commandments which I command you. God fearing, God obeying, and God loving. Verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. Our identity has to be wrapped up in being God fearing, God obeying, and God loving. Now that Fear probably doesn't need to be said, but this is not a fear of terror. This is a respect that you have for a loving father. Second thing this verse speaks to, this chapter speaks to, is a community, and particularly the family unit. Now, you know, you can look through the Bible. All of us who have raised children are always looking for that Bible verse that helps us with the tantrum in the supermarket. You know, you want to say, look, if you want to get practical with me, can you help me figure out how to stop my two or three-year-old when they pitch a fit in the grocery store, right? And, And I guarantee you, if you look through Genesis to Revelation, there's no mention of tantrums or grocery stores, right? And, you know, it's not that there are principles that can be applied in in those situations, and there are certainly discipline that needs to be applied. But this is a book about a relationship with God that ends up affecting everything from the tantrum in the store to the atmosphere of our homes. And so the second thing that, as, as Moses gives them these words to depart, he says, you need to know who you are in relationship to God. And you need to know what your community looks like, how you parent and pass this on to your children. And so let's look at what he says. This is perhaps the best words on parenting in the entire Scripture. He says, These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them When you, what? Let's look. When you do what? You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. For Moses, I believe he understood that it's incredibly easy for us to lose our children 
and grandchildren. Look at what it says, our sons and our sons' sons. It's not just male. This is a word for your children and your children's children. And for those of you who don't have children, almost all of us are, are aunts or uncles or mentors or older brothers or sisters or somebody that you're influencing the life of a child. And in the family unit, my question is this, is is your faith a part of your life in a way that you're influencing those who are following you, those who are watching you? Let me just pull out a couple of things. This this issue is real for, for so many of us that have children at home, but if you're a grandparent or, again, an influencer, which most of us are. So look at what it says. Verse 6, these words that I command you shall be on your heart. Is God's word on your heart? You aren't going to pass along to your children something that's not on your heart. I've, you hear stories about, well, yeah, I, you know, the old days I would drop my kids off at church and, you know, any of y'all, any of y'all ever dropped off at church, right? And then the parents, that was their free time to go out, right? I'm thankful for you all that that's not the case for your parents who are here because if it's not on your heart, you really have nothing to pass along to your children. Secondly, it says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. The word there, it's one word, that whole thing. You shall teach them diligently is one Hebrew word. And it's the word that for sharpening a stone. We teach the word of God incisively. It's going to cut through to their heart. And do we teach it in a formal way? When do we teach it? Pretty... Pretty average, ordinary day ways, isn't it? We shall talk and teach them when we sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Naturally. Naturally. Let me just challenge us that if if our world is not where God is centered, remember the identity. And if it's unusual for us to speak to our children of God's Word, something's wrong. It, this, If we're going to be Deuteronomy 6, church and family, it's got to be just something that comes out of us. Finally, Verses 8 and 9, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You've seen, if you've been to a home of practicing Jews, they'll often have these masuzas, these, the word of God. These verses will be on their, you know, actually on their doorposts. I think for me this serves, are there reminders in your home that point us to God? Is the music, are the pictures, are the books, you know, Again, are we hiding anything? I'll tell you the story. I wasn't going to tell this, but I feel prompted by the Spirit to just tell this. Is that you, what we, the actual physical objects in your home can carry with them a, a power, can carry with them a sense of God or of something against God. I lived with a family uh, one summer while I was part of a Christian ministry in North Carolina. And... When I would go through the house, there was a particular place in the house when I often felt sort of sick to my stomach. 
And uh, the family was a Christian family who, were, who was housing me for the summer uh, because they were connected to this ministry. Long story short, uh, I ended up sharing with uh, uh, one of the adults, the wife or the husband, I don't remember. Um, uh, I guess it was, uh, now I do remember because of the, what happened, uh, it was the wife. Uh, I just said, you know, it's really funny. I, I uh, have this sort of sick feeling whenever I'm in this part of the house. And uh, she said, well, I have no idea why that would be. And we, you know, we, we didn't really know until we found, it was at the top of a stairway, and until we found right under the stairway kind of a storage room. And under the storage room were boxes of just vile <clears throat> material, pornographic sort of material that had been stored there from her husband's college days that they had just packed away and stored under there. And... I, it was such a visceral reaction that I've always remembered that, that instead of having in our house where door, the doorposts honor God, something in that house, even secretly hidden away, I just want to just ask generally, is there anything in your house that you wouldn't be happy for Jesus to pick up and find? Just very simply, if there is, there's anything in your world that you wouldn't be perfectly content for Jesus or, or some individual to come in and find, please get rid of it. Just please, please let's honor God with that. And again, I'm not saying it all has to be, you know, every book in your house has to be a Bible. I'm just saying, well, that's not a bad idea, but you know, I'm not saying that. <laughs> but I'm just saying, if there are things that offend God, please take, let's take the holiness of God seriously. Again, the, the, the word to Israel was as you go into the promised land, don't fool yourself into thinking you're banking on my goodwill that present holiness influences God's ability to continue to bless you. Okay. Third, prosperity. So we have identity. We've got community. We have prosperity. Moses says to them, Starting in verse 10, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you with great and good cities, now listen to this, that you didn't build, houses full of all good things that you didn't fill, cisterns you didn't dig, water sources, vineyards and olive trees you did not plant, you eat and are full. What, what should it say? Then just worship the Lord for all the goodness he's provided you. No, what does he say? Take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. And once again, it's the Lord you shall fear, him you shall serve. By his name you shall swear. Never underestimate your and my ability to forget God. I know you think you never would. I know you think probably, man, when God comes through, I'll never forget Yes, you will, or you're capable of it unless you remind yourself. I am astounded at my ability to attribute God's blessings to my goodness. I'm astounded, but I continue to just think. I think I'm so smart, and I'm not. I'm not. I mean, you know, I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I'm God's person, and so are you. And so as we get into this, again, the metaphor here is, you know, Israel entered into a physical land. 
They entered into what we know as the nation of Israel, that promised land. But for us, it's not a physical land. But we want our worlds, our interior worlds, our homes, the places we dwell in to be places where the milk and honey flows. That's a metaphor for the goodness of God, that the blessing of God flows. But it flows conditionally. God saved us and loved us unconditionally, but don't think that the blessing of God flows without our obedience, without our identity rooted in Him, and without our acknowledging His goodness. We live in a day and a culture and a time when people feel that they have done it and they get the medals and they, they've done it all. And an, a, a humble interior acknowledgement that God has done things for you that you could never do for yourself. Plant vineyards, dig cisterns, all these things will go a long way toward actually living in the promised land. And finally, continuity. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of these testimonies and the statutes and the rules the Lord has commanded you? In one generation, the son is saying, I forget, Dad. Why, why do we follow Jesus? That's not what they were saying, obviously, but that's what we will say. No, why, why are we Christians again? What, why do we do it that way? Why can't we do this or that like my friends can do? Why do we have to live this way? The continuity is to be able to say very clearly, you know what? Verse 21, say to your son, your, your daughter, your child, your grandchild, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. Egypt's that metaphor for, for sin. Guys, we were, we were locked away in sin. I, I was a drunk. I was a lost person. I was a selfish, you know what? I couldn't do it on my own. I, I lived for me. And it was my life, my world was falling apart, son, daughter. But the Lord brought us out of sin, brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. He showed me signs and wonders. And He brought us out from there, from sin, from Egypt, and He brought us in to the good land that He swore to give to our fathers. And He's commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God. Why? For our good always, that He might preserve us alive. I say this sometimes at the close of services. I haven't in a while, but I have often have said, Everybody should rejoice because you are far worse than you think you are. Right? Our propensity to feel that we're somehow great folks, and this is why God has done so much for us. We truly can rejoice because the gospel is greater than we can ever understand or repay. In the next chapter, verse Deuteronomy 7, 7 says this, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you or chose you, 
for you were the fewest or the least or the, the, the nothing of all the peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. It's kind of a funny thing, isn't it? Why, why does God love you? Because he loves you. That's, well, shouldn't there be a reason? Yeah, because he's incredible. I would encourage you to steep in this chapter. Encourage you to think about your identity, your community, your family, the prosperity that we all enjoy. You don't think you're prosperous? Go to, go to some, some parts of the world for a few days. Our continuity, how we're going to pass this along. We read today as we close, I'll, to, I'll ask the band to come up and we're going to close. I want to think again of Psalm 78 that we read today. Think of things we've heard and known that our fathers have told us. We won't hide them from our children, but we'll tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn. Arise and tell this to your children. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the way you want to create, still create a people who can live in the promised land. Lord, it can be very difficult and challenging if we try to come into that land on our own terms. Lord, but we want to enter and live in the power of the Holy Spirit and the goodness of the land that you've given us to live in, the freedom. And we do that, Lord, again, rooting our identity in who you are, who you've called us to be. Lord, we thank you that we can live in relationship to our families and our children in a way that we can share in this goodness and not think the prosperity that we enjoy is of our hand or doing. Lord, we ask that you would make us into a people that would live now in such a way that just like Israel, we reflect the glory of God to those around us. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.